Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Steve, I'm going to put you right on the spot here. Um, Tell me in one sentence why people should care, even if they don't live in Virginia, about today's election. Because Virginia is the first and really best barometer of where the political environment is at the beginning of Joe Biden's presidency and one year until the crucial midterm elections. That's pretty good. I don't even think we need to do a show after that. (laughs) Are y'all ready to vote? We are just days away, all eyes on Virginia. Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat, the former governor. Can he hold off the Republican Glenn Youngkin? It is an election that's largely seen as something of a referendum on President Biden's agenda. It's a major opportunity for Republicans to build momentum ahead of next year's midterm elections. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, I'm Steve Shepard. I'm the senior campaigns and elections editor at Politico. Steve Shepard on what's at stake as Virginia votes. Steve, months ago, the Republican candidate for governor, Glenn Youngkin, was trailing pretty heavily in Virginia. This is a state that Joe Biden won, that went blue in 2020. But now Youngkin has pulled up to Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat in polls, with some recently showing him ahead. How did we get here? Well, this isn't just a state that Joe Biden won. This is a state Joe Biden won by 10 points. And that's what gave Democrat Terry McAuliffe, the former governor who was elected in 2013. Virginia does not allow its governors to serve consecutive terms. So he left office after the 2017 election. Now he's trying to come back. He had a lead for most of the summer. A number of things happened. Chiefly, the national environment changed. Joe Biden's approval ratings, especially once we got to July and August, fell from the low 50s into the 40s. Uh, That means that that 10-point cushion that McAuliffe and Democrats kind of had based on where Virginia stands in, in relationship to the rest of the country, that cushion disappeared. And Glenn Youngkin has run a disciplined campaign that looks forward, doesn't look back at the previous Republican president, Donald Trump, who's not popular in Virginia, Uh, And that has really allowed him to to make the campaign about a couple of core issues that both activate the base and have helped him uh, chip away at some of those suburban swing voters who were really the the drivers of Virginia's move to the left over the past decade and a half in the first place. It's interesting how you bring up Youngkin kind of threading this line with the Republican Party and and the Trump wing of the party, because we recently were talking on the show about how Youngkin has kind of harnessed a number of hot button issues when it comes to education, riling up, you know, some base Republican voters in in Virginia and leveraging that in this campaign. What specific issues are we seeing him use to excite voters in this race? So Youngkin uses education as really a catch-all for a number of different issues, some of which appeal to those suburban swing voters. He talks about increasing teacher pay. He talks about increasing standards. He talks about reinvigorating some of the state's programs uh, for accelerated students that have been pulled back in recent years. But he also makes an appeal to the Trump base by uh, really criticizing the way under Democratic rule for the last eight years now, especially in liberal-leaning school districts, the way race is taught and, and frequently rails against critical race theory on the campaign trail. And so by using education, he really kind of 
unites these two wings of the party that the Republicans need to have both excited to turn out and also persuade to come over to their side because a lot of those folks uh, that he's really appealing to in the middle are people who voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump uh, last November. Hmm. What do you think is going to be the deciding factor or who, if it's specific voters, do you think is going to decide this race? Well, let me tell you, as, as we're talking here, both Real Clear Politics Average and 538 polling averages are, I think, within one point. Uh, so basically, anyone and everyone, perhaps down to the individual voter level, is going to be decisive here. That's one of the things that makes this race so interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think if we're going to look at one place Tuesday night as the results are rolling in, I'm probably going to be looking at Loudoun County, Virginia. This is a county that is about 45 minutes west of Washington, just past Dulles Airport. If you're headed out of D.C., it has trended increasingly Democratic in recent elections. This is a place where Glenn Youngkin is finishing his campaign. It is a place where he thinks some of these education appeals are going to be determinative. If he runs even in Loudoun County uh, or perhaps even pushes ahead, I think that's a great sign for him. That said, if this looks more like 2020 in the election results and Terry McAuliffe keeps those voters who who abandoned Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020, keeps them in the Democratic column, then I think uh, he has a great chance to extend Democrats winning streak in Virginia. So we've talked a lot about Youngkin's strategy here and how he's sort of come behind and, and harnessed some of these hot button issues to really, you know, make things extremely close. What has Terry McAuliffe been doing in response, if anything? Like, are there any sort of last minute, last ditch pitches that, that he's trying to do to shake things up in the final days? Terry McAuliffe in the final days, having seen him on the campaign trail, very much wants to talk not about the current president, but about the former, the most recent former president, Donald Trump. Uh, he is looking for every opportunity to tie Glenn Youngkin to President Trump. Trump wants to win here so he can announce for president for 2024. That's the stakes of this election. He's trying to get himself off the map. He wants to win here Tuesday. Uh, he said on the trail over the final weekend, he warned supporters that the former president was planning to announce that he's running again on Wednesday. If Glenn Youngkin wins on Tuesday, Donald Trump's going to announce Wednesday morning that he's running in 2024 and that... This is why Democrats need to stop Glenn Youngkin. Donald Trump announces he's running in 2024. Are we going to allow that to go on? No! No, we are not. On the other hand, watching Glenn Youngkin at his events, you know what name does not come up, Jeremy, at all, once? Donald Trump. Hmm. He's happy to talk a little bit about Democrats in Washington and Richmond, uh, including by name, but he does not want to talk about the former president. And that has been, from the McAuliffe side, pushing that uh, has been kind of the dominant theme of the final week of the race. That kind of touches on what I'm curious about next here. But what, at the end of the day, is at stake in this election? I mean, obviously, the governorship of Virginia. But when it comes down to it politically, what's at stake here? Well, it's the governorship. It's other constitutional offices. It's, as I know you've talked about on your show here, the lower chamber of the state legislature. So Virginia, a state with trifecta control for Democrats. Uh, Republicans, if they take all the offices, could reverse a lot of the policy changes that Democrats have made in recent years. But you're absolutely right that we shouldn't be focusing just on Virginia. Uh, this is a race with national implications. We've already seen Democrats in Washington and the House, including some very senior members, begin to announce that they're not seeking re-election in 2022 because 
In part, they don't believe that Democrats will have the House majority when the new Congress meets on January 3rd, 2023. Uh, and they don't want to serve in the minority anymore. And if Republicans win a race in a state that Joe Biden won by 10 points that's become so nationalized, uh, I think that's going to be a signal to Democrats in Washington and in other state capitals across the country that 2022, unless something changes over the next year, and certainly it could, but that 2022 right now looks like it's going to follow historical trends about midterms for new presidents and be a very challenging year for the party and, and a year where the party can expect to give up some control, whether that's the House of Representatives, where I think their, their five-seat majority is extremely endangered, uh, whether it's the Senate, which is tied, and where one seat, all they have to do is lose one seat and they lose the majority to Republicans and Mitch McConnell becomes a majority leader again. Or in the 36 states electing governors in 2022 and numerous others electing state legislatures where Republicans can claw back some of the power that they lost in 2018 and 2020, I think this is going to be a signal to Democrats if Terry McAuliffe loses to Glenn Youngkin, uh, that things are really trending in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, real quick, when should we expect results by? Is this going to be something that comes in and is clear tonight, or could this be 2020 presidential election all over again? Yeah, polls in Virginia close at 7 o'clock Eastern time, which is pretty early. That's good for us and, and those of us who like our sleep. Um, here's the catch. The race, if it is as close as a lot of the polls indicate, we're probably not going to know Tuesday night in that event. Virginia has expanded over the past two years its absentee mail balloting program uh, and ballots. As long as they're postmarked by Tuesday, on Tuesday, uh, they can arrive for up to three days in the mail uh, and still be counted. So they can arrive by Friday, by the end of the week, the work week. And if the race is extremely, extremely close, those ballots, we're going to have to wait till they come and they're tallied to know who won. That said, if one candidate wins by two or three or four points, I think we will know on Tuesday night. Uh, and I think we'll, uh, whether it's on your, your show or elsewhere, be talking, spending a lot of Wednesday talking about what happened and what it means. Steve Shepard, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today... The Supreme Court is wrestling with the most significant abortion cases it's heard in nearly three decades. On Monday, justices considered the fate of a Texas law that sharply restricted abortions in the state by opening health care workers and others to the threat of private lawsuits for facilitating abortions. Two appointees of President Trump, Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, raised the hopes of abortion rights advocates with their questions in Monday's arguments. Both aired concerns that Texas's abortion ban was designed to evade federal law and constitutional review. And new guidance released by the White House says federal contractors subject to President Biden's vaccine mandate will largely be in charge of policing noncompliant employees, with the Safer Workforce Task Force saying if a worker refuses, contractors should, quote, determine the appropriate means of enforcement. The guidance also says agencies should terminate contracts with contractors who aren't taking steps to comply with the mandate. A dozen states, including Florida and Texas, sued the Biden administration last week over the mandate for federal contractors, arguing the requirements were an unlawful overreach. The Labor Department is also expected to soon issue emergency rules requiring private businesses with more than 100 employees to ensure their workers are vaccinated or submit to weekly testing. 
Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a rating and review. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.